Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable discussion, we're going to be talking about San Diego Comic-Con 2014. Joining me here is Kay Kellum. How are you doing tonight? I'm exhausted, but on an adrenaline rush. I can understand that. that. As we recorded, it is about 11.20 local time here in San Diego on Wednesday of Comic-Con. Other segments of this episode are going to be recorded on each of the individual nights. I just thought this year it would be fun to do it kind of as we go because, man, by the end of it, it's such a blur for me. Sleep deprivation can do that to a person. Yes, it can. So let's not talk too long on preview night so we can actually get some sleep and be awake for Thursday. I heard people talking about lining up at 3 a.m. for things tomorrow. And quite frankly, at 3 a.m., I hope to be sound asleep. You know, it's funny. I am a hardcore comic book fan. I consider myself a pretty big fan of movies, television shows, and a lot of things. I am not a rabid drooling at the mouth oh my god oh my god i've got to get this energetic kind of a fan so I'm, i guess i'm a hardcore apathetic fan which is kind of weird but i'm okay with that there are a lot of things where the lines start at 3 a.m that i would love to do i'd love to participate in but if i got up in time to be in line at 3 a.m i would not still be awake when that activity was taking place yeah i i don't have the stamina for that more power to those that do and definitely if if that's what makes them happy awesome i think that's great uh our day started out with breakfast with uh our friends the the chans uh we've met them hanging out at conventions and stuff like that they're great people and that's one of the fantastic things about san diego comic-con we met these friends 10 years ago here at the convention Mm -hmm. and they are now friends yeah we uh we did the breakfast we saw some of the sites behind the convention center saw where they were setting up the the godzilla con the gotham zip line a few things now wednesday before preview night there's a lot of construction going on in this area just as they're building the stuff at the last minute to put all these things together it was fascinating seeing gotham coming together and well quite frankly joking gotham wasn't built in a day it looked more like flatland when we walked by it did and i can't wait to see gotham tomorrow watch people zip line through it but to see how it came together and we took a few photos of it in pieces because it was so interesting I'm enough of a process junkie. I really enjoy that sort of a thing, seeing the the build up, the the event, and then sometimes even the tear down. Well, and we walked over to Petco Park's parking lot, and we saw the covered bridge for Sleepy Hollow and this amazing river pond. I'm pretty sure it was a chalk drawing. I think it was, and it gave it a sense of of kind of the depth and, and whatnot. I mean, to the point you couldn't even see the, the, the normal painted lines on the, the pavement for the parking lot. It was fantastic detail, and you could just tell how much time and energy they had spent putting this together. Well, and how much they were still going to spend over the next couple of hours before preview notes started and before all that 
kind of really needed to be ready. So it's it's got to be a lot of work for those guys, uh, the construction guys and the, the other people coordinating all those things. But over the next couple of days, it'll really pay off because a lot of people are going to see it. A lot are going to be impressed by it, and a lot are just going to have good time as impressed as i was seeing the outside of the covered bridge seeing the chalk drawing i can only imagine how impressive the inside of it will be yeah well and again that was mid-construction yeah um we also what else did we do went through a little of the hilton bayfront uh, meet a couple of people hand off some stuff and then headed over to actually with the chance to record an episode on orphan black i'll get that up at some point Obviously, that's a little lower priority versus a timely episode like this or the previous spotlight or the mail report or the weekly comic spotlight. Or So well, I, I hope to get it up soon. It was a good discussion. Well, it was taking advantage of the fact that the four of us could sit down in one room and do a podcast together. That's actually the first time I've recorded a conversation with that many people live face to face and stuff. Uh, got a little new equipment that helps with that. But it was fun because... We're all fans of, of, you know, in that case, Orphan Black, but of the different TV shows. And that's part of why I really enjoy hanging out at the convention with them is they know how to have a good time. They help other people have a good time. Well, and that's one of the fantastic things about San Diego Comic-Con International is it's this group of 100,000 people who embrace fandom and just really cheer on what one another loves. And it can be such a high-energy group of people to be a part of. It's exhausting. It but is. But it's amazing. So after we did that, we did a quick bite to eat at the Tin Fish, which is themed up for a Blacklist, which we need to catch up on. We only got a couple episodes in. Now, we did make one stop before that uh, to help out the Chans, Oh, we, that's right. I totally forgot. We went down to the town and country so they could pick up their badges. This is something we've never experienced before. Actually, I've had to go there for picking something up at one point, but that was like de- at least a decade ago, if not two. Yeah, and I there was a minor traffic jam, but honestly, given the number of cars going out to the town and country, it wasn't as bad as I feared. A hotel circle was a bit of a zoo. Town and country in particular, which is the name of the, the hotel they were doing the off-site badge pickup, was kind of crazy. A little better signage would have helped. That having been said, we were stuck in traffic. They hopped out, um, were able to get their badges and get all that squared away. By the time we had gotten down a block, essentially you turned and found a place to kind of hold loose. They were already there ready to meet us almost. Yeah. Now granted, it took a while to get down that block. Yeah, but by the time we got down the block, turned and said, okay, do we circle the block? What do we do? They were calling to say, we've got our badges. Where should we come find you? If it took them more than 15 minutes, if it took them 15 minutes... I would be surprised. So kudos to the the convention staff for that kind of a fast turnaround. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's a bit of a zoo there. Charging 10 bucks for parking when you're only going to be there a few minutes, a little outrageous, probably not under their control. Probably. But th- what they need is to find a good place where there's a, a easy throughput for traffic to just go kind of do your thing and move on, almost like a massive drive-through for badges almost. I don't yeah. think that literally would work, but 
it's worth trying. Yeah. So yeah, we did that. Totally forgot about that. Then we came back. Then we did the tin fish. Grabbed quick gluten free meal, um, which they've got a, a decent menu yeah. on that and good service, good food. Um, and then headed into uh, the convention center for preview night. Mm-hmm. Um, I headed off to uh, go meet up with some artist friends of ours, the Moys, um, Phil and Jeff. Um, they worked on Legionnaires back in the day. They've done a lot of video game stuff. Great guys. Fun to hang out with. And then I met up with uh, Linda and Erica, the Chans, over at the Bandai booth. Now, as, as long-time listeners will know, I'm, I'm a big Power Rangers fan. Bandai America was doing uh, exclusives of the Dragon Dagger for the Green Ranger, gold-plated version, for 150 bucks, which is more pricey than I want. And then an exclusive Ranger set of keys. The current team uses that as part of their morpher. But this was the set for the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. 30 bucks, seven keys. I'm like, you know... I can swing that. I can I can I can do that. Well, we get there, it's right as the hall is, is opened. Um, granted it took a little bit to go from Artist Alley to the far other end uh, of the hall to, to get to Hall A for that. And they start shooing people away. Line doesn't start until seven. It's like five thirty, five forty five or whatever. So we get shooed away a number of times, and I get it, they don't want a big line forming there. But there's also something highly ironic of, I have money, you have product, I want to make the exchange go away. Wait a sec. Well, and this is going to be a ticketed process, but we won't give you the ticket for the process. I heard somebody say, and I I think he's right, this is going to be one of the hot ticket items of Comic-Con. Probably the Dragon Dagger, but I mean... yeah. When I got back there shortly before 7, it was a zoo. Mm -hmm. It was wall-to-wall people in that entire... Because aisle 100 is the first actual aisle away from the wall, but there's an aisle worth of a walkway there at the wall. That was full. The entire around the Bandai booth was full. Well, and part of the problem is that the Bandai booth was so popular with what they were selling last year that everybody knew for this year what a zoo it would be, so everybody was worried and rushing to get there. I was in the line last year multiple times, never got close enough to buy what I wanted. Later, they did a non-exclusive, scaled-down, non-gold-plated version of the Morpher, and I was able to get it. And I'm I'm actually, at this point, banking that they'll do a non-exclusive version of, of the Money Morphin Keys come December, January. And I'll probably pick it up then because we spent, geez, maybe about an hour all said and done as they were shooing people from one section to another and getting, you know, squeezed up against the wall. No, no, it can't be there. Got to move somewhere else. Getting squeezed up against the No, no, it can't be there. Getting moved somewhere else. Squeezed up against the I was just dripping with sweat because you get that many people in that tight a, a space, it gets hot. The, the air conditioning system just can't keep up. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we, we luck into the right spot. They're starting to hand out the tickets, and they're running out of tickets just in front of us. Again, I'd have been, again, I was there when they opened or whatever. It was understandable but frustrating because I was hearing as we were leaving, they were only giving out like 60 of each type of ticket. It's like, really? 60? 
okay. Yeah. This is why I generally don't do chase stuff. I want to hand them my money. I want to get them, get my stuff and move on. That was, frankly, a lot of the time I spent in the convention center this afternoon, this evening. While, after we'd gotten shoot away, before I came back, I did start going up and down the first block of aisles, starting at the 100s. Made my way up to, I think, aisle 2000. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's where it was, because I got to creative uh, uh, Impulse Entertainment, uh, Jan Lucanus. Uh, I've been a fan of his work on Justice for Hire, the comic. That was something we reviewed on the Weekly Comic Spotlight way back. It was one of those three ninety nine comic, plus it's going to have a DVD of martial arts action. It's like, I don't know how much, how long that's going to play or whatever, but I get the comic for, for regular price, and I get this, even if it's a few minutes. And it wound up being some great uh, fight choreography or whatever. He did a Kickstarter, and they're going to do the world premiere of his movie tomorrow night. Very cool. So I'm hoping to make it to that. Uh, again, he's he's somebody I, I like following what he's doing because I find him very, frankly, inspirational. You know, he wanted to do a comic. He's gone and done that. He wants to do a movie. He's going. He's doing that. He's an accomplished martial artist, as is his father. Um, he's very entrepreneurial. And just seeing him successful, I, I find very enjoyable. And I, I've loved what he's done with the comic. I want to see it translated to live action. Uh, just show my support for him and stuff. Um, so that was that was fun. After that, I uh, ducked out. Uh, I well, went back to the band. I yeah. think got slammed up against the wall and had that fun. After that, I headed off to the uh, CBR yacht party. Uh, Jonah over there about eight years ago, just out of necessity rented a yacht he needed somewhere to stay now i know all of your listeners know but comic book resources i'm a staff writer over there i do the mayo report i crunch the numbers um i've been following comic book resources as long as i can remember just as a news site a place to get information about comics the staff he puts together just year-round is awesome the work they do during comic-con i think they've already got 30 or 40 articles up i think it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, the the thing I was seeing earlier in, in my email, it's like, wow, they covered a lot. Um, and, and they work really hard from like 9 to 5 or, you know, whenever during these days. Then they kick back on the yacht. And man, I was at the front of the yacht. They had a nice chair set out. The breeze was great. See the sun setting. It was so relaxing. And after that whole Bandai thing, I, I kind of needed that. Had some great conversations there. It's a really great crew. But he started doing the yacht thing because a couple of years back, I guess eight years ago when he started, the closest hotel he could get was a couple of miles away. Mm. Mm -hmm. Now, we're over at Liberty Station as we record this, which is on the other side of the airport. But I'm also not running comic book resources. He can't be that far away. He's got too many interviews, too many things he's juggling and doing, um, just coordinating the staff and stuff. Uh, so I think he made a, a very smart choice, and apparently it was a little rough the first year or two. But he's gotten it down to where they can basically take over the yacht. I don't know if he owns it or if he rents it or what, what the specifics are. But they hang loose. They've got a place right behind the, the Marriott. They've got their own, essentially, studio that they can set up on top to do interviews. 
it's it's a nice unique venue yeah um and again the party there was just a ton of fun it's a great group of people um that's that's become one of the highlights of the of the convention for me the last year or two well and while you were doing that i was taking turns being a chan sister <laughs> uh erica and linda very graciously adopted me for periods so i went to the bbc america booth mm-hmm. where i was green screened into a photo of the clones from orphan black yeah you were showing that to me here um it's not a perfect effect but given they just put your head into a plastic oval and then put you into i guess five of the clones it's actually quite good for what they're doing on the fly i think if they were to spend a little more and have you line up properly they can't see what they're doing yeah i was gonna say it would take a little bit to get it properly registered to where it fit perfectly on the faces Yeah, they can't see, they have no screen or anything that they're looking at. A camera takes a picture of you and automatically does this blindly, if you will. The program does it and they never see anything. What I'm suggesting is the program should walk you through, position yourself where your eye is here, here, and your nose is there and your mouth is there, kind of a... Yeah. And as you self-position, click the button when you're done. It would be a little more sophisticated, give a little better results, but it's a clever idea. The only direction that is ever given is look up at the lens. Wow. Um, And then we went over to the stars booth and toured the castle from Outlander, Mm. where they had two men in kilts and a chance to get a prize from Outlander, either a t-shirt or a shot glass or a tote bag or a a bandana, Mm -hmm. which was kind of fun. And we just... You know, hit some of the big booths to see what was going on and what's popular this year. So it was a lot of fun. And one of the things that always amazes me about preview night is realizing that there are some people for whom this is the only night they'll be on the exhibit hall floor. They'll be in panels all day, every day for the rest of the convention. Well, you know, you say that and I've got a list of panels for tomorrow that is frankly pretty big um there's the 11 30 uh new get, getting news coverage panel there's the previews one at 12 30 the comiXology one at 2 30 obviously i'm going to be at the podcasting one at four o'clock that's the only non-negotiable one in my mind um there's indie marketing at 6.30. There's a lost 1978 comic book documentary one at 7.30 I'm curious about. And then the Kung Fu, and that lasts till 8.30. And the Kung Fu extravaganza starts at 8. Uh, but Jan was saying the uh, Justice for Hire stuff won't start until about 8.30. So if I can make it to that, I want to. But yeah, that's a, that's most of the day in panels. Yeah. With an hour or two here and there to kind of duck down into the hall and, and go around and see what i can see yeah and i hit the first block on 20 aisles that's a drop in the bucket i mean there's three times of that just within those aisles plus the whole rest of the the hall so yeah there's there's a lot to do yeah and that's one of the amazing things about san diego comic-con just how much there is on the exhibit hall how many great panels there are and this year the panels are running later yes 
there are a lot of things going beyond that seven o'clock boundary they used to kind of have mm -hmm. and they need to just to space things out and to, to get as many panels as they can well and they always had the movies running 24 hours so it's always been 24 hours of programming technically mm -hmm. but i guess what i'm saying is this year it feels like more of the actual talking the panels programming yeah yeah, yeah. So, well, the panels, not the the, the films, like yeah. you said. So. so, so far I'm doing pretty good. My feet are already a bit tired. I did a lot of walking. Crossed the convention center, a lot up and down towards the yacht and back. And Oh, and I did have one other highlight today. I got to go into the Marvel booth and take a picture of Lola from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So. Ah, cool. I thought cool. that was pretty nice. She wasn't flying or hovering, but, you know, the car was sitting there looking all spiffy and, yeah. I walked by the back side of the Marvel booth, so didn't really have a good sh uh, line of sight or into there. Uh, took a couple of photos at the Bandai booth. As I was walking from Artist Alley over to Bandai, which is at booth 121, literally up against the wall almost, um, I saw what looked like part of the bridge of uh, the Enterprise from Next Generation. There are a lot of things I want to go back and just check out. The Bridge from Enterprise is on my to-do list, and there look to be a lot of great Batman costumes and statues and things yeah. inside the DC booth, so that's on my to-do list. Well, and again, that's part of why I go block by block and zip up and down, using kind of the end of Hall C as a dividing line to turn around and go back, and then go do D, E, F, G, you know, afterwards. Or and It's not like I go through all of a b and c first it's just uh, having a system means you actually get to see it all exactly and i've already taken out the map in the middle of uh the quick start guide that we got today um just so i've got that and i've already marked up which aisles i think i've kind of gone down and stuff because with this size of a, uh, exhibit hall you don't want to waste too much time double doubling over aisles you've already done accidentally on purpose awesome but you not by chance you, you know. could walk a couple extra miles just being disorganized going from one end of the hall to the other trying to find things i'm always amazed on preview night when people are darting from booth to booth to booth to get the exclusives get the tickets get the uh, on the autograph list or the sketch list or whatever i mean i understand it i just don't have the stamina for that because again this exhibit hall is the size of 10 football fields. It's got that much square footage, and it's just the exhibit hall. And again, we wound up a little far afield and going behind the convention center earlier over to Petco Park. I made it over to the Marriott and stuff like that. So yeah, a lot of walking, feet are tired. And I did enjoy hearing Godzilla roar at noon. Yeah. So plenty of fun stuff. Uh, we will record again, hopefully every night. Unless we're like totally exhausted, in which case we'll, I don't know what we'll do, but hopefully we'll record every night. I have promised to avoid midnight showings of movies this year since I've deemed myself too old. Yes, yes, I appreciate that because I'm too old for that too. And uh, latest thing I'm planning tomorrow is the kung fu thing, and we may duck out after uh, the the Justice for Hire stuff depends. So I think that wraps it up for now. Um, We'll be back with Thursday. We are back in the hotel room. It's Thursday night. We've actually gotten some food in us, which is good. 
uh, I don't know about UK, but uh, preview night is always a bit of a killer for me. By the time we get back to the hotel, get situated, get prepped for Thursday and whatnot, it was like midnight last night. It takes a little while for me to get to sleep. Preview night leads to a very short sleeping cycle. It also makes Thursday, which fun day. I start out a little more tired than I like. It's hard to get into that good rhythm. The short night leads to a long day. Yeah. Now, today what I did is I spent a little time in the morning walking the floor. Uh, really only about an hour or maybe two, actually, yeah, almost two. Because um, I went to a bunch of panels today. So I made it through part of Hall C. I had finished off the... Um, front section of blocks and I've made it from about that whole CD break at aisle 2800 back down to about 1600 or so. So I still have a ton of kind of the old section of con left to do. This is where the publishers are. This is where a lot of the more comic type stuff is before even, you know, and again, tomorrow I may just jump over to the artist alley or something. I haven't decided yet. So still plenty of the floor left to do. But checked out Dark Horse, DC, uh, Bongo, Aspen, Graffiti, and stuff like that. I gotta say, DC's booth... I, I Old school. I like the one where they had the arch and stuff. It was very, you know, enter, come in and do this. They've got a lot of stuff in there for Batman's 75th anniversary, the different... You know, uh, Eagle Moss uh, versions of the Batmobile, the different capes and cowls and whatnot. It's cool, but it seems like they've become DC Studios versus DC Comics. And they've been DC Entertainment for a while. And I totally get what you're saying, but there's a part of me that just loved having so much visual eye candy, if you will. So I understand why they did it. Fair enough. But I miss the bat signal being up on the roof of the convention center and being able to tell people, I'll meet you at the bat signal. It just is an indicator to me that people at DC are taking yet another cue from Marvel, which went from Marvel Comics to Marvel Studios at Con ages ago. And I don't know if it's that or if it really is just the eye candy approach. Because the eye candy pulls you into the booth. And then they have the tables with the creators signing. And you have to find your way to that past the people looking at the eye candy. But they only had like three areas where you could have creators. I guess they've got the stage now. And again, I didn't spend tons and tons of time there. In part because the crowd they're drawing is hard to get through. It's a busy, busy booth. And that's a good thing. It's incredibly wonderful to see so many people being drawn to the DC booth. And the booth is accessible. They have a good avenue to get into the booth. I guess, I, as a comic fan, I would like it if they could find a way, maybe on the outside of their booth or something to have display things where they could just drop in the latest issue of every comic they've got with the last four or five or something just to have the eye candy, have the we do comics aspect. 
Yeah, the eye candy was not blatant comic book eye candy. Yeah. And I certainly agree with you. And this is a way in which San Diego Comic-Con is, and for over a decade, has been different than an event like the Capital City Comic-Con that we went to. Yeah. This is a media con. Well, and quite frankly, next year I would expect the DC booth to have, if the shows are still going, Constantine, iZombie, Arrow, Flash, uh, everything else they can, you know, Gotham pull out of the woodwork just to reinforce that their properties are now mainstream and that's a good thing now i spent after that the next two hours over in room a uh the first one was a panel on getting news coverage which i thought was interesting and good didn't really uh kind of hit the questions and and i was expecting a little different than what they gave what they gave made sense but it seemed to be a little bit more if you've got something new on kickstarter Here's how to go find the right outlet, pitch it to them the right way. It was great information, don't get me wrong. Um, but it seemed surprisingly heavily geared on Kickstarter stuff. And maybe I and I came in a few minutes late. Um, so maybe I just, they had something to kick it off in that direction. Well, and Kickstarter is certainly the current trend in how to get a project off the ground. And there are a lot of people who need information on how to do it successfully. Well, and one of the best pieces of advice they had was if you're not almost ready to put the thing into print and get it out the door, in other words, it wasn't worth your time to do it for free, a lot of these people were kind of skeptical you'd get it done when you got the money. And I've only backed a couple of Kickstarter things, um, one of which was the Justice for Hire movie, which I believe actually, and forgive me Jan for not being there, uh, is airing I believe right now uh, over in Hall 6A. Uh, we headed back to the hotel room a little early. Just my feet were killing me. I've got to edit the uh, the uh, podcasting panel and stuff, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but that's one that I backed. Very happy I backed. I mean, uh, again, Jen Lucanus, very impressed by this guy. Uh, and just really proud that he's gotten it. He's getting, as part of the Kung Fu extravaganza uh, that's happening in, in Hall 6A, um that he's getting to, to premiere his movie at Comic-Con. That's just a huge accomplishment for him. And it's a wonderful accomplishment. Yeah, and it's to me, that's a successful Kickstarter. You know, I backed it. He's, he's gotten it done. He's showing it off. Uh, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll, I sponsored it at the level that I'll get a copy. We'll, we'll watch it. We'll review it. Uh, as, a, as a big Jackie Chan fan... As, as somebody who's not steeped in kung fu movies but like action films, I'm really curious to see how it's turned out uh, taking the comic that you know I, I was a fan of when it first came out years and years ago, translate it to live action. So that should be fun. Um, but then after that, getting the news coverage one at, uh, at 12.30 in that same room 8 was the, uh, the previews. Uh, panel where they were kind of going over what is previews what is previews world the website you know things of that nature and it was a really well organized presentation i learned a couple of things about previews that maybe i knew at one point and kind of forgotten it's like here are the themes we do every year this is january february you know where we point out you know this that and the other and it was really well organized and kind of showed that I mean, this is not a trivial thing for them to go produce. They've been doing it for over 300 issues, month in, month out. And 
again, it's, it's well done. It is the authoritative source for what's becoming available, what's shipping in comic shops. If you're in the print comic business and don't reference this, I just, I don't get it. I don't see how you can. Um, I got permission from them to put that up. So what I'll probably do is the next preview spotlight interviews episode will probably be that panel. Hopefully, uh, people will enjoy that. I thought they did a great job. Had a good conversation with a couple of the guys afterwards. Um, they're just they're great people. I did a little bit more. Actually, no, I didn't do too much wandering in the hall. One of the things they did at the previous panels, they they had a, a raffle, a giveaway. I usually win nothing. When they had the Walking Dead compendium, this is like a 24-issue block of trade paperback. I'm like, oh man, I'm probably going to win that and have to carry that out. I didn't. I won the Batman Bane action figure deluxe set. This thing's about a foot and a half long, about eight inches deep, and about 12 high. I mean, the thing's huge. It's awesome. But I happen to know you like action figures a great deal. And, and you those fit you, fine with my collection. You like Batman a great deal. Yes. So of all the prizes you could have won, that was probably one you very much wanted. That was probably one of the better ones for me, yeah. It was just huge. Cumbersome. It's like, okay, I'll take this out to the car. I was happy to have it, don't get me wrong. Um, but it was funny because I then wound up trucking across the street over to the car to drop that. The copy of previews they gave me, the Marvel previews, the previews consumer order form. I mean, they, they gave it a lot of stuff both in terms of everybody got a free copy of previews and they gave away a ton of free stuff. Again, a couple of copies of Walking Dead, uh, a couple of, of the action figures and stuff. They were really generous with all that stuff. Um... But then I then turned around and pretty much walked straight back to Hall 8 uh, for the Comixology panel at uh, 2.30. And that was pretty interesting. They announced the DRM-free uh, option they're doing. So for a couple of their publishers, not all of them, unfortunately, um, you're going to have the option, I don't know if it's live yet or not, to basically download a copy of the comics you've got. Um in either PDF or CBZ format for uh, Dynamite, Image, Thrillbent, Zenoscope, Top Shelf, or Monkey Brain, and I'm sure they'll get some others on board with that. Um, they took a lot of questions. It was mainly geared to be a Q&A panel, but they had a couple of announcements and stuff like that. And they talked about kind of the archive feature they've got, the whole uh, Comixology submit process, although they're going to have a whole other panel on that. A little about the history of comicsology, um, and that room probably about ninety percent full. They had a really big crowd. Uh, people, I think, were very happy with the whole DRM stuff. And comicsology, you know, said that their goal initially was to have a really good reading experience, get as many publishers on board as possible to make it, a, you know, kind of a one-stop shopping. And then, as it made sense, to do things like, okay, well, the industry's moving. DRM-free, Image has gone that way, other publishers have gone that way solo, so okay, let's pull that in. But if you think about it, if they had done that from day one, before publishers were ready for that or interested in that, they wouldn't have gotten as many publishers on board, whereas now they're in a position to make these changes. So, I mean, they had some, some really good rationale for all of what they're doing. Um, and again, it was it was a fun panel, very well done. Talked to Chip Mosher there. He used to be over at Boom, 
um, marketing there. Uh, so, I mean, they've got people who've been in the business for a while. They're now owned by Amazon. I think great things are in store for that, I'm hoping. Um, so, very, very exciting stuff. Um, and then after that, I headed over. This was around 4 o'clock for that podcasting panel. Now, you met me there. What were you doing while I was doing all this other stuff? I wandered the floor for a little bit. I was persuaded to walk across the trolley tracks with Linda and Erica and try and be one of the first 1,000 people through the door for Game of Thrones and quickly realized as the building wrapped around, or the line wrapped around three sides of the building that that's more than 1,000 people. Uh, so I left them in that line because I wanted to go to the 1230 panel for TNT's Legends. Mm. And that turned out to be a screening of the first episode. Oh, wow. In, cool. In, in its entirety. And it I enjoyed it. It was a little darker than I think I expected. It's a drama, definitely, uh, with a spy basis now is this something you think we're going to be adding to our our what we watch together list i do for for listeners who who don't know i've mentioned this a number of times on the previews teleconferences and and whatnot um my my sister and i get together every basically every wednesday and friday uh grab something at a local restaurant take it back to my place kick on the projector screen and just kick back and watch some stuff off the dvr so we'll stockpile a bunch of things. We follow a bunch of TV shows together. We also watch some others that we both watch, but watch independently and then talk about later. Um, so finding some good shows to replace a few that have ended. Yeah. Always, always fun. And this show, it looks very interesting. It's got some, some Jason Bourne aspects to it. And it's about a guy, Sean Bean, who goes undercover. And he's just very, very good at deep cover operations. And there's some concern he might be a little too good at going undercover. And he's in the FBI. And he's been undercover for six months. And the people in the FBI are saying, this guy has no clue how to work with a team backing him up. And we want to back him up. Right. So in this pilot episode, he's basically being forced to accept a backup team. Well, you know, it's interesting because one of the things that always impressed me with the original Mission Impossible TV show back in the 60s was how these guys were all undercover as a team. Something would go wrong. One of the guys would have to improv to do something. And the others might be like, what's going on? But kind of trusting and playing with that and going with that. Because he'd be like trying to save their life or something. Yeah. And that kind of undercover, on-the-fly decision-making in a team environment just has some built-in challenges there. So I could see where that'd be a fun show to, to check out. Yeah, this show has a lot of potential. I think it's one that I'll watch week by week as it mm-hmm. airs, but then at the end of the season, I'll feel the need to marathon back through it and put the pieces back together and see, okay, how did all of this stack up? There are very few shows that I think are worth watching episode by episode, but then marathoning again. We've done that with, um, with, with Continuum, and I think that's very good. I could see maybe also again with like an Orphan Black or something like that. There are mm-hmm. a couple of shows where the writing is good enough, tight enough, and enough is happening that 
watching it play out week by week, it's like you just can't wait any longer than that. But then going back, kind of knowing how it's it's ending at, at least at the season level, and seeing that additional layer of oh, I see, wow, they did build up to that. That I I enjoy that when it's a really well written show. And that's what I'm hoping for from this one, which is cool. originally based on a book. Okay. So I'm probably going to go looking for the book and see how much came out of the book, which has me intrigued also. And then right after that was another panel for a TNT show, uh, The Last Ship, mm-hmm. which I've seen four episodes of the five they've aired. And it's, again, another very interesting show. A ship went off on a six-month mission radio silence and when they were allowed to get back in touch with the rest of the world, they found out that, well, we'll refer to it as a plague. A plague had gone around the planet, and more than 50% of the population is now dead. And on board their ship is a virologist who, unbeknownst to the rest of the crew, has been working on the cure. And they have the one person who might have the one hope of a cure. Right. Hard at work. So they are the hope of mankind, as long as they stay true to mission. It's funny because that reminds me of the premise of Crusade, the Babylon 5 spinoff. Earth is under quarantine because it's a space show. Uh, They've all been infected with a plague. And that ship has to go find the cure and do whatever it takes to make that happen. So different, you know, Mm -hmm. more realistic setting or whatever, but similar aspects in some ways. Well, and they were talking from the stage during the panel about the fact that one of the things they really liked about the premise is that it is a show of hope. Yeah. They have the initial strain that caused the plague. They have a possible cure they're actively working on it they have a scientist who has most of the skills to make the cure they have most of the pieces so it is not a all hope is lost show it's as long as we work together we have hope show well and from what you've been telling me about that show it sounds like it's got a really strong cast it has a very strong cast with eric dane from Grey's anatomy rona mitra who was on uh, boston, boston legal, legal which we watched and really enjoyed yeah uh, adam baldwin you've told me he's on that yes. show from chuck from firefly he's he's great yeah so i i haven't checked that show out yet i need to um it's on my dvr i just i haven't had time to watch it get ready for con yeah and it's the last ship because they are navy officers with the well and enlisted men with the exception of the scientist and they were talking today about all the help they've gotten from the navy and the department of defense with making the tv show complete with being allowed to go out to sea on a navy ship to film some of the episodes and at one point they were talking about what it's like to sleep on board a navy ship and you know, you kind of care who's in the bunk above you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's good that the actors had that experience. It, it gives them something to kind of ground their uh, portrayal with, with a little first-hand knowledge. Oh, yes. They had a review of Navy Chow included in the panel. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got a, a second cousin. He and his wife were in the Navy. 
Uh, we know a number of other people who've, who've been in the Navy and other branches, actually, of, of the military. And some of the stories you hear, I mean, I got tons of respect for anyone in, who's been in the military, who's done active service, who's been overseas, whatever. And I like it when the TV shows kind of pay attention, try to get it right, and give those of us who haven't had that experience mm-hmm. a little sense of what it's like. Because it's, it's, it's not going to be the same as doing it, of course, but it gives us at least a frame of reference. Yeah, and they're definitely treating the military with a great deal of respect. And from the episodes I've seen, I understand that you're never going to get 100% accurate. And there's artistic license, etc. But they, I have the feeling they're doing everything they can and I really respect the show and the efforts they're making and the way they're portraying the Navy. Cool. After that, what'd you do? I went down to the Outlander booth, took a little tour through the castle, and drew a little card from a basket that meant I won a tote bag. Ooh, a tote bag. Hey. If only I'd had one of those earlier. No, <laughs> Uh-huh. It may seem like a weird thing to win, but man, it can be really handy at this convention. It can be. And then I went up to the podcasting panel. Which I really appreciated because we were, uh, John Suntress and I were both hoping to plug our recorders into the soundboard, get just great, pristine quality audio, and they have a soundboard there that the only thing that was kicking out was to the speakers. It's like, well, that's nice, but we've told you before we want to record. So I set up uh, two recorders to kind of like I normally do, and it's uh, some some years it works better than others. We'll see how it did this year. Um, I think I got lucky and placed it on the right side of the room for where some of the questions were coming from. We'll see. And John was really good about repeating those because that's the kind of thing. All of us up on the podium are, are mic'd, but then you get a question from the audience and if you're not careful, you've got an audio that just suddenly drops out and you get an answer to something and it's like, well, what are they answering to? So hopefully I'll get a, a, a good recording. Um, I, that's actually, once we're done recording this, what I'm going to jump on is editing that, getting that up, hopefully for uh, a Friday release. Well, and it was a great discussion between everyone on the panel. The entire group in the room, and the room was well over half full. I'd say more like three-quarters full. It was a very surprisingly big crowd. Uh, We've had a few years where it was not so much. Other years it was tons. This was one of the best ones uh, crowds we've had, both in terms of size and... Attentiveness? Attentiveness, and we've had one or two years where it was a very self-promoting crowd. Mm. You know, where they would come to ask a question, spend 15 minutes telling us about their podcast. It's like, that's nice. But what was the question? Yeah. Uh, John Suntress has been doing a great job moderating these. And he's always got a bunch of good questions based on who he's got on the panel. And man, I don't know where he's finding some of these people. But these are... I had not met, other than John, any of the other panelists on here. I need to be listening to a couple of their podcasts because... These guys are really smart and had some very interesting stuff. We had, let me check my notes so I don't get this wrong. Um, uh, one more page on the notes. I'm taking tons of notes this year, mainly because my brain is, is out. All right, so we had uh, Tim Bayers, I think, from Motley 
Fool, uh, Heath Corson from Nerdist, uh, Glenn Weldon from NPR, myself, John Suntress from Word Balloon, Calvin, whose last name I got to pull out of the program from Publishers Weekly. Um, Heath also wrote the Justice League War DVD, and his podcast is on um, on writing, which sounded fascinating to me. And that's that's the one out of all of them I want to check out the most. Also, uh, Calvin's. Because he was really knowledgeable about what's going on in the mass market. And he's been doing stuff, I think, for, for Publishers Weekly. Or at least covering this area of stuff since, I think, like the 80s. So we had, I think, just a fabulous discussion. Good back and forth. A lot of people had some really interesting insights. And we were all talking about the same basic area of stuff. But... It was like, you know, the the five guys and the elephant. We were all coming at it from different directions, different perspectives, different focuses. And unlike those five guys who, who think the elephant is five different things, we could all understand where the others were coming from and get that picture of that elephant, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So uh, great fun. Really enjoyed talking with these guys. John did a great job assembling, I think, a, just a, a great panel uh, to talk about kind of the state of comics and where things were. And we got some great questions from the audience. Yeah, um, the audience was with you every step of the way for the entire panel. It was really very well done. Yeah. I'm looking forward to next year because this was the ninth annual, which means the next is the 10th annual. And 10 years in comics, that's an eon. Just how much things have changed. Um, who else I got to meet based on who's on the panel. It's, it was, again, fun, fun time. Talked to a couple of people afterwards. Uh, that was that was always a lot of fun. Uh, just meeting some listeners, um, people I've talked to in some past years, wanting to do some follow-up conversations, getting my thoughts on, gee, what did you think about the new 52 and whatnot. So had a blast. Had a, had a great time with that. Again, talked with uh, some of the other panelists and John and stuff afterwards for a bit. Um, and then you had ducked out a little early. Uh, not early, but... Earlier than I did, I should say. I left almost promptly after the panel. Yeah, I think I was one of the last guys out of the room just before the other one started, or as it was starting. It took me yes. a minute to shut down my recording equipment. Um, but then you had headed off to go see the, uh, uh, try to see... The Hercules, Hercules. advanced screening, which I, I'm... I appreciate you calling me and saying, hey, you should get over here and try to get in too. Yes, yes. It turned out I did have a ticket for you, and you were able to stand in line with me and get turned away with me. Yeah, that was that was a little frustrating. I wish I had realized a little bit earlier before con or something that they were going to have the screening because this is uh, the Hercules based on the Radical comic that was done a number of years ago. And uh, I did a lot of, of episodes on the podcast with Radical promoting their stuff and I'm very excited to see this film actually hitting fruition and I think if I'd had enough lead time to contact them and say hey I'd like to to see this as as a member of the press I'm sure they would have let me but yeah it's something we wanted to watch and review and when we got there they said we had not RSVP'd which okay yeah that comes down to having the right contacts and stuff and yeah, certain things are, are no longer in my possession. Let's just go with that. Uh, but I'm I'm happy they finally got that movie out. Looks like a lot of fun. 
Uh, I'm curious if Radical's going to, at some point, kick back into comics. Because I could see where there's a do some comics, do some movies, do some comics potential there. Uh, I, I enjoyed their comics. They had great production values, great stories, and I want to see more of them. Particularly Caliber, which was a uh, King Arthur in the West. Mm. That, I think, would make a great film, too. Mm-hmm. So... After that, uh, we'd uh, actually been there with a couple of people, and it was one of those where it was late, I was tired, my feet were killing me, I was hungry, and realized, wait, I've got a podcast to go edit. Mm-hmm. So we, we headed back to the hotel a little early, um, and what we did on the way back, actually, we're over at the uh, Liberty Island, or Liberty Station, which is just past the airport. And I'd noticed as we were coming in the other day, there's this sushi place. You'd been craving sushi. I am guilty as charged. And I'm figuring, well, I know where this place is. Let's let's see if they can provide some gluten-free stuff. Hmm. Um, not only did they provide, we seem to have hit the happy hour getting it for, I think, half off. Uh, great staff, excellent sushi. And I'm not much for sushi, but this was really good stuff. This was very tasty. So, uh, sushiya... Uh, S-U-S-H-I-Y-A. This is the uh, Point Loma branch. Again, right here in, in Liberty Station um, by mm. the uh, the recruit, the, the landlocked Navy vessel. Um, yeah. Great food, really friendly staff. Very think, helpful and, and fast. I think we tried six different types of rolls. I think we can say we sampled the menu quite nicely. Yes, yes. Finding some good places to eat, I think, well, for me, is, is one of the big challenges of con every year with our food allergies. So when we hit a, a essentially a home run like we did tonight, to me, that's big news. Just knowing that there's somewhere by the hotel that's open until like 9.30 or 10 that we can hit if we get back and it's like, oh my God, I'm starving. The only thing we didn't mention is the Gotham police car we saw. Oh, yes. On the drive back. So we, we have a place we can park by the convention center. Which is great, since we're at a hotel, what, three, four, five miles away. It takes 20, 30 minutes to and from every every time. But, and I hate driving right in the gas lamp because it's crazy, but man, the eye candy of what you can see. We hit, uh, again, they've got cabs, I guess, moving around. I don't know if they're free or what the deal is. I think it's, this was decked out as a Gotham City police cruiser from, I swear it looked like the 40s or 50s. Making me wonder if Gotham's going to be a period piece. I just haven't followed it closely enough to know. But there were some people getting in. They had a, a screen. I'm s- assuming they get to watch the trailer. I guess. Captive audience for a bit, and they take them where they need to go. Mm-hmm. The theming of vehicles is kind of crazy. I saw some outside tin fish by the gas lamp, uh, the pedicabs or whatever, for once upon a time. Mm-hmm. A guy dressed up as Hook and a few others. Uh, it's fun. It's cool. But it, it does make navigating the roads down there a little crazy. Agreed. So it was fun. A little bit of a an early night. Just I'm not used to being on my feet this long. I did a lot of walking around despite going to all the panels. Uh, fun time today. It's one of those that I just need to get a little more sleep than we did after previews night, which, again, is a late night, plus the, the yacht party at CBR. Uh, by the time we got back recorded again, I didn't get to sleep until you know midnight or 1 a.m., um, and then it's a rinse-repeat the next morning. So with that, I think we should pause here. 
We'll record again tomorrow night to cover what happens on Friday uh, and go from there. Works for me. All right. It is now Friday night. It's about 940 or so. We're back at the hotel having gotten some food and whatnot. And uh, this was this was another busy day. Friday's often one of the uh, days where it's easy to get a lot done because it's not quite as crowded as the weekend tends to be. And by Sunday, you're just exhausted. And by Thursday, you're just getting started. We got a little bit of a sluggish start today just getting out, I think. Um, I was just tired when I woke up. Uh, and we wound up missing the breakfast at the hotel. Kind of a bummer. But, you know, not a big deal. Uh, we headed over to the convention center. I got over in time for the uh, Publishers Weekly Behind the Digital Line panel. That was being moderated by Calvin, who was on the, the podcasting panel. Did a great job. And I was interested in that just because digital is its not an upcoming thing. It's, it's a big thing, and it's going to be a bigger thing. Uh, smartphones, iDevices, I Android devices are just popping up left, right, and center. They're, they're procreating faster than, than people are. Well, and the presence of smartphones, especially on the exhibit hall floor in the convention center, I have lost track of the number of people in the last two days. I have heard using the expression texting lag. Yeah. Well, what was interesting, though, is I don't consider myself that much of a digital reader, but I was actually a reader of a lot of their properties because they've later gone into print. Watson and Holmes was one of them. And I'm trying to remember what one of the other ones was that I was familiar with. I should have written it down and I didn't. But um, it was a, a Liberator is actually what it was. Uh, read that from Black Mask Comics, I think it was. And it was funny because they were saying how their Hot Topic t-shirt sales had pretty much exceeded their total comic sales. And it was one of those where it just kind of happened in a roundabout way where they had somebody do, I forget if it was an annual special or whatever, and it was a different artist. And then somebody had changed his Facebook page to use that art because they'd seen it on Twitter or Tumblr, I guess it was, which you don't really see the credit from where things are coming from. And then once the guy realized at Hot Topic, I think it was Hot anyway, somewhere in the chain, somebody realized that the image they like so much, oh wait, that's your product? Well, damn, you know? And it was, it was interesting how there's a certain viral aspect to that. Um, most of these, all of them were very adamant and, and I think correct that the print and digital markets are separate markets. And to an extent, there still is some digital resistance. Hey, people like me, if I'm going to pay for something, I want something tangible. And just that whole discussion was, was fascinating. Because like you're saying, everybody has a digital device. Um, they had a, a great bunch of panelists there. Um, the The panel was not as populated I would have as I would have expected. Granted, first thing on a Friday morning, I think that was part of it. Um, but it was it was a really really good panel. Um, it was interesting. Chris Roberson, who's a writer, uh, was in the the audience because his wife Allison Baker was on the panel and he was talking about at one point because they threw out to him just some of the creative differences between print and digital print you got the page flip and then the reveal 
Well, digital, anything can be a reveal. So he had, like, started writing up this manifesto. And then I guess he had read some Karl Barks stuff or whatever and realized, well, geez, most of it's right there. You know, how everything old is new again. But that was a, a great way to start the day. It was a, a really good panel. Um, a lot of fun. Now, by that point, you'd already kind of split off from me. Yes. I started my morning on the exhibit hall floor. And one of my all-time favorite parts of Comic-Con is that book publishers come as well as comic book publishers. And I love that the publishing houses bring novels. Some are advanced reader copies. They're available for uh, traditionally for review. But mm -hmm. in this case, they give them out just to attendees not who have not necessarily committed to review them. Uh, but also they'll pull from, I assume, their warehouses. Uh, books that have been out a few years or books who, that have just come out recently, but they seem to have an extra case or two. Mm -hmm. And they just hand out books to anyone who will scan and let them know, you know, yes, I showed interest in your products. And this is how I get exposed to authors whose books I haven't read before. And many times I read the back cover and I'm like, how do, have I not be, been aware of this author? It stuns me that I haven't stumbled upon them in the thousands of bookshelves I peruse during the year. Now, for listeners who don't know, which is going to be all of them, and how would they know, you tend to collect novels at this convention. I do. You have had years. You have come back with a bag full of a few dozen novels. I do. Um, I love that they introduced me to authors I was oblivious to, and I, after I read the book, I'm like, I should have known this person, and I will admit that by December I will be cursing these same publishers I am loving at the moment because they will have given me the first of six books and by December, I will have bought the other five. Now, what's what's funny in terms of, of meeting authors and stuff like that, I'm, I'm very much an introvert, not really a, hey, I'm so-and-so kind of a guy. Um, but after I got out of the panel, I headed down and started kind of at Hall G and was working my way kind of across or whatever, and got over to Star Wars Land, the Lucasfilms area and such. And sure enough, there was a guy there doing an autograph session for, for his novel. And I'm like, okay, I, I gotta say hi to him. It was John Jackson Miller who's doing some of the Star Wars novels. And I'm a big fan of his, just a long time. He, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, runs ComicCron.com, which does the numbers and stuff. And he goes, he, he, he used to work for, for Comic Buyer's Guide. So he's got that journalist background, he's got the, the historical information, and, you know, he's one able to do, you know, let's see how Archie has sold over the decades. And, as, I mean, he's a fellow number cruncher, and he just does a, a wonderful job at that site. Um, and I've read some of his Star Wars stuff when he was doing some of the comics and whatnot, and he he's so... Not, not only, I mean, he, first off, he's, I think, a trivia maven for that stuff. Somebody came by and quizzed him on something, and of course he nailed it. But not only does he have the knowledge, he gets the sensibility of the world, that universe, without aping the style or whatever. He was able to tell um, a story, uh, ongoing series, set in the Star Wars universe with all new characters that very much fit the style and sensibility. They seemed native to that realm, if you will. 
Um, so, you know, great guy, um, great author, uh, had, had a wonderful discussion with him today. And first time I've met him face to face. I've tried in past years, but it's, you know, because as soon as I saw him at that point, it's like, you know, here's the book. I've got to go dive off to this other panel. Hey, come back later, which I wound up doing. And we talked at that point. But just as big as this convention is, sometimes you run into people, sometimes you don't. This year I've been having really good luck on that. I wound up actually spending much of the day uh, just walking the floor, and I think I walked the majority of it today, uh, including probably rewalking a few sections because I got a little confused and turned around as to where I was going and what I was doing, which is just kind of sad. I'm getting too old for this. Well, and part of it is there are times when the crowd is so thick that you can't see through the crowd, but you get almost swept along by the crowd past the booths and you aren't quite sure if you saw it or not i will admit i used the which booths were it? there were a couple of booths i think it was the walking dead abc area it's like okay i'm turning around uh sideshow collectibles and a few others where it's like you know i don't need to go further in that direction right now i'll wait till the crowds die down and do it at a sensible point I was getting swept along by the crowd near the ABC booth when I had a wristband that entitled me to be in line at the ABC booth for an autograph signing. And I finally held up my arm, showed the wristband to a security guy and said, please help me. I'm short. I need into the line, please. And he looked at, he said, your wristband matches theirs. I said, yes, that's the point. And he said, okay. And he starts saying, let her through, let her through. Well, again, and, they're, they're trying, the security mm. guys are trying to help out. It's, it's a tough job for them because they're trying to herd cattle or, or really wrangle kittens in a place that doesn't have room for this. I was at one point on the uh, lower number section of the hall. There was some line in the middle aisle uh, lengthwise or whatever. And they're like, okay, everybody squeeze single file. Well, if you've got them too deep and you say, no, no, cut that in half, suddenly that line's got to extend twice as far back. Physics just has certain rules. And the people in line are kind of stuck. The people running the line, it's like, well, we got to have people walking around them. Well, I was very fortunate that the security guy was able to get me where I needed to be just by telling people, you know, come on, work with us. Let yeah. her through. And he got me alongside the line so I could trace it to the back and that was very cool and it was a signing for the TV show Resurrection which I had watched the entire season of and mm -hmm. I I really am enjoying the show and I was really excited to get to go through the autograph lines that was very cool yeah there was one point where I think the cast of The Walking Dead was walking onto the floor that I decided that the whole EF section not where I needed to be at that point. Walking Dead was signing at the same time as the Resurrection cast. Wow. Yeah. So you were going through that as about the time I was just bailing on that section. Yeah, I got out of the signing and found in line another friend to tell her, hey, I succeeded. Thank you for all your help earlier with something. And we were talking, and all of a sudden, security came along and said, push up along the sides. We need a three-foot-wide corridor. No one can move. My friend looked at me and said, you're officially trapped. Hope you weren't trying to go anywhere in the next five to ten minutes. 
I said, I don't understand what's happening. And she said, it must be the Walking Dead cast leaving the floor. Ah, uh, yeah. And, you know, when she said it, it made perfect sense. It just, I wasn't understanding what was happening because, like you were saying, when you compress the traffic, it doesn't move. Well, and the problem with that is you've got some of these booths. They've got double decks and stuff like that. But if you're... 30, 40, 50, 60 feet away, you're still getting impacted by the congestion of the crowd, and you've got no idea. At one point, I was in that area, I saw a bunch of hands stick up with cell phones, and they're all taking pictures of something, and I can't see what's on the cell phone screen to go see what they're doing and stuff. If they had some better way of messaging to the crowd what's going on, because I think that's a lot of it. Those of us who are not interested in that, it's like, okay, give us a, give us. Give us an exit path. We'll get out of your way. If they you had guys who are digital, interested, get in there. If they had a digital sign, you know, at the beginning of the aisle that says, you know, three quarters of the way down, this aisle is a dead end because of a signing, I would not have gone down that aisle. There have been jokes about a, a Google Earth kind of a thing for Comic-Con, and I think there is a definite need for that. Because of the congestion. Again, what we hit on preview night over at Bandai. Yeah. They should have expected that level of crowd. There are times when it would be very useful. If they knew what kind of crowd expectation there were at every booth, where they want to put the line, when that was going to be, how long it would take, they could manage the line a lot better. Oh, if only they had a crystal ball. That's not even a crystal ball. I mean, based on Bandai last year, they could guess this year. You've got the Walking Dead stuff, the cast coming on. You can get a pretty good estimate. Is it going to be perfect? No. But you can at least make sure you don't have too many big draws in one area at one time. And maybe actually have a little bit better cordon offline areas. Now, they've got those in a lot of places. They are doing a very good job, by and large. And they're getting better each year. They're definitely making progress each year. I commend them for it. I still think the Bandai stuff the other day was a bit of a, it a, was, a nightmare. But the ABC line, I was in line for half an hour for that signing. Mm -hmm. It was well organized. It ran smoothly. And security got me where I needed to be and kept the traffic around the booth moving quickly. It was surprisingly impressive. Yeah. Given the amount of people on the floor, the number of big draws and autograph lines and stuff like that it, it by and large is moving pretty well you know there have mm -hmm. not been too many places where i'm just you know slammed up against a wall of humanity i haven't getting a little bit more bounced around than i have in some years but again that's just nature of the beast um i wound up walking mo uh most of well the first three blocks of hall g f haven't done Artist Alley yet, haven't done the back section. Uh, the first two blocks, because they're shorter, for halls E and D, finished off, I think, all of A, B, and C. Went through the small press area. It was funny, I'm going through there, uh, meet up with Steve Bryant, who's got the Athena Voltaire, which is coming out through Dark Horse and whatnot. He's sitting there talking to a couple of people, and then I realize, wait, that's, that's Cameron and Christina from DCBS. That's awesome. How are you guys doing? So we all had a good talk and stuff. and You know, they're trying to support him and, and whatnot. That's great. Um, so it was fun seeing my retailer at, at Con because, again, I do mail order. This is the second time I've seen them. 
and they're wonderful people. Steve's a great guy. Um, I had one or two other things where just, you know, happenstance happened to bump into a couple of people. Um, but man, my feet are killing me. I walked the floor a lot, picked up a number of, uh, business cards from various anime booths. Not because I'm into anime, but that's where some of the Super Sentai stuff is. Did see one thing over in the, the exhibitor, uh, tables over at the, I guess, Lobby A, where they have the Red Ranger keys. Hmm. They've got like 15 of them as a box set, and I don't have that. And it's 90 bucks. It's like, do I spend the money or not? So, haven't decided yet. That's that's the one tempting purchase so far. Um, other than the one I made this morning before we left for the uh, convention, which is part of why we got a late start, uh, we'd been seeing these Captain America backpacks around. And finally, well, actually, when I was uh, uh, helping uh, one of our artist buddy uh, check in and stuff, like, okay, where'd you get it? How much? And he's like, yeah, hot topic. I don't know, maybe 40 bucks. I'm like, I like it more than 40 bucks. I can handle that. It's a round backpack, circular, that is shaped and painted to look like the shield, and it's attractive. It's a nice-looking backpack. We've seen a number of them. And again, with the Captain America movie and stuff like that, he wears it on his back. It's a brilliant idea. And it looks well-made. Yeah. I haven't seen any that are broken or, mm-hmm. yeah, so mm-hmm. th- that so far has been my major con purchase, although I did it online at the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think while you were walking the floor was when I went to the, I will... Cons- actually, before that, before oh. that, um, you had headed over to uh, the Moyes table, had texted me or called me wondering where I was. I was on the other side of the styling t-shirt wall, like 30 feet away or something. It might as well have been three miles. And you're like, hey, we're going to go eat. I'm like, okay, I'll be right there. Thump, I'm there. And then we headed over to Tin Fish, had some some food there. And they had the blacklist photo thing going on, which really ate up a a fair amount of their seating space. It did. At least 20% or whatever. But even so, I am just amazed how well organized that place is. Uh, we our order was taken within a few minutes. It took a little bit to come out, but I mean they are feeding half the convention, I think. Um, and the convention attendees are very good about sharing tables and making yeah. sure every seat that's available is filled. Yeah, and not sitting at a t- camping at a table when they're done. Yeah, you know. Um, and again, the the people at Tin Fish, they had one girl who was keeping track of where, because they take your order, hand you a number they, on a stand or whatever. All of that is even themed for blacklist. Yes. And they've got one girl keeping track of. Okay, they sat over here with that number. They sat over there. And as the people are coming out with the food, she's directing them to the right place. Yeah, it's very well organized. So yeah, once the food came out, it, it was fast. It was good. Um, then we headed back, and you went to the the one panel. Which panel was that? Yes, 101 Ways to Kill a Man. And it was several authors who have written books in which they, they're thriller authors and they kill characters in their books. And I have to admit, not only were the authors very entertaining, but the questions from the audience were very entertaining. In part because some of the audience members well, they were trying to be very quick 
with their questions, mm-hmm. not waste any time. So they would come up to the microphone and just start with, so I've started hacking the limbs off of my character and I don't want them to die immediately. What should I do? You know, and so one of the authors... I would only be worried if somebody had a cell phone. Hang on, I'm getting the answer now. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the author says, and for anyone outside the room listening, she really did say character. Yeah. We've seen a lot of TV shows, and you know, a lot of them are murder mysteries of one sort on police procedural or whatever. So I think we've seen a fair number of ways people can die. I still need to get you hooked on Jonathan Creek. Because it's a, a British show, a who a done it of sorts, um, but it it has some things that make it fundamentally different than a lot of the shows we watch. Uh, the main guy who figures out how it was done works as a uh, uh, stage craft, uh, the the inventor of the magic tricks for a, a, an illusionist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because at one point he's dealing with a guy who investigates UFOs or whatever. And he basically says, you know, I, I kind of respect you because, I mean, we're in the same craft fooling people. <laughs> the only difference is I don't pretend it's real, you know, and it was it's a show you got to watch. At some point we should watch that and uh, and do an episode on that. Well, it was a great panel. Uh, Jeff Ayers was moderating and mm-hmm. he did an excellent job. Uh, one of the authors was talking about how she uh, had a character electrocuted with a hot iron. So they definitely had some very creative deaths. Uh, one but author, did they have 101? Uh, they didn't name all 101, but one author, uh, Greg Hurwitz, confessed that at one point he wanted to have a character poisoned by oleander and he hit a snafu in his research and he was really frustrated so he called the poison hotline and probably not the best of ideas he called up and he said so if i want to kill someone with oleander do i have to use the leaves or will the stem work and there was this long silence and the person on the other end said sir could I have the phone number you're calling from? Which the correct answer is click. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, so there were some great stories from the authors, and it was just an incredibly entertaining panel. It's one of those panels that you wish you or one of your fellow podcasters had been recording and releasing as a podcast for more people to get to enjoy, because it was just fantastically wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are a lot of panels that, I mean, I had a list, frankly, of a, a bunch of panels I was thinking about going to today, and I just made it to the one. You know, um, if they would record that and get those out, I'd certainly be all for that. It'd be wonderful. I made it to uh, three panels today and the signing, and I enjoyed each and every one of them immensely. Cool. Again, I spent most of the day just kind of walking the floor and such, uh, talking to a bunch of people. In addition to talking to uh, John Jackson Miller, uh, I talked with uh, Chad Hardwin. He is the... Harden, my apologies. He's the artist on Harley Quinn, which, as we record this, is like the second best ongoing... uh, second best-selling ongoing series at DC. And it's good. It's really good. I mean, he's an amazing artist... A really good match for the cover artist of Amanda Connor. Uh, Jimmy Palmiotti is is doing a great job on the writing. 
it's in continuity but not mired with continuity it's great blend and i just had to ask him what do you think the signs of success are why is it doing so well and he was basically pointing out that it's it's fun it's a bit unpredictable mm-hmm. because anytime that jimmy is is hitting one of those well has this been done before if it has he goes a different way nice he's trying to do something different and shake things up and i really respect that um so great creative team it certainly deserves all the success it has but it it's kind of funny for a title based on a female character conventional wisdom at one point female characters don't sell based on a vid uh, on a character from a cartoon as reimagined through a video game back into the comics and which didn't even originate in the comics i mean harley quinn started with the batman animated series but for the character to have metamorphosized a few times at least visually while still remaining very true to the original roots is kind of fascinating mm-hmm. um so that was that was a fun discussion he's a great guy uh amazingly talented artist and then one of the other ones I talked to kind of on my way out at one point, because I really didn't dive too much into Artist Alley today, was uh, Todd Nock. Now, I've been a fan of his through uh, when he was doing Wild Guard, when he was doing Young Justice. Uh, his current series right now is Nightcrawler, which is just a wonderfully fun series. He's uh, doing the art on it. It's written by Chris, Chris Claremont. Very true to hardcore, uh, uh, old school X-Men stuff yet still very fun, very in the now, very lighthearted, um, without being like silly or anything. Mm-hmm. It, it's got a sense of joy to it, and uh, Todd's art just, just is so perfect for that. You know, He's got a sense of fluidity and youthful energy to it, um, which is part of why he was so good on Young Justice and some other stuff back in uh, previous years. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a lot of my day. It was just walking the floor again i covered probably 60 70 percent of it what i have left to do at this point is just kind of the back side of halls e f and g uh that back corner in there which they've got shaded in color but i don't know why yeah i'm not sure either i'm trying to think what i saw back there which was maybe funko funko mind style i'm wondering if it's kind of the japanese yeah. kind of stuff which doesn't make sense because the mm-hmm. area i was in in the middle of hall g and f had a lot of the anime stuff and whatnot mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll be checking that out and i'll be going through artist alley either saturday or sunday mm-hmm. uh tried to meet up with um sam who does the numbers episodes with me but you know he had to get his badge we were eating it's just different different places at different times and that didn't work out Uh, so we're hoping to do that tomorrow well and it didn't help that my late afternoon was busy with the other two panels because i made it into the history channel's vikings panel Mm -hmm. which was wonderful Uh, they're currently filming in ireland and they flew in for comic-con you know, there have been a couple of years where they fly cast in from one show or another. They did it for uh, Serenity. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And you got to imagine that we're a couple hours off the dial from where they're filming in a lot of these cases. That's got to be rough on the, the yeah. actors. Well, and the actors were saying that they love coming to Comic-Con because it's the chance to interact with the fans and mm-hmm. the chance to hear from the people who are enjoying and responding to their work and to find out what's resonating with people and what from their work is why people are tuning in. And so it's very meaningful for them to be here. Well, I mean, we've heard that from a number of different people. Um, who was it on the podcasting panel? The writer? Uh, Heath. Heath, thank you. Blanking on the name. Well, he was saying how, I mean, as a writer, it's a very solitary activity. Yes. A lot of the people who are the talent at this convention are writers, mm-hmm. solo behind their keyboard artists solo behind their their drawing board Mm -hmm. um or actors yes there are a few more people around but a crew of 75 but you're performing in front of the camera with no real idea of the audience beyond it and you may get told a million seven million however many people are watching it but you don't know how they're reacting to it what you know is they turned on the television well, it's it's with that size of a crew for TV show, movie, whatever, about the size of a football team, thereabouts, we'll say, playing at an empty stadium and the game's only televised. Yeah. You get no feedback, no sense of was this working, was this not. No crowd roaring, no crowd booing, no laughter to tell you if the joke succeeded, no wince of pain to tell you the joke failed or flopped. No, no feedback of any real sort, whereas... The joy of Comic-Con is being able to go up to, like, Todd Nock or, or John Jackson Miller and just say, hey, I like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Or Chad Hardwin and saying, you're knocking it out of the park. Well, and that's actually a, a natural follow-through to the next panel I went to, which was Orphan Black. Mm-hmm. And it was a fantastic panel. And someone got up during the question and answer period and was saying that they were gay and their parents had not been supportive and Orphan Black came on the air and they started watching it and they got their parents to watch it. Mm-hmm. And Orphan Black helped heal their relationship with their parents, helped them accept themselves as wow. a gay person. And they wanted to thank everyone on Orphan Black, especially Tatiana Maslani and Jordan Gavaris for the characters they're playing and for helping them to understand themselves and how to feel comfortable with themselves. And after this very emotional speech, effectively, where they got choked up, the person turned to Tatiana Maslany and said, and then I just wanted to know, how do you feel when someone like me says something like this to you? And Tatiana Maslany was so choked up, she could barely answer. Mm -hmm. And she said, I'm just overwhelmed because that's such an amazing thing to hear as an actress. Yeah, that you touch somebody's life so profoundly yes and jordan gavaris took over answering and he gave just i can't do it justice he gave such a beautifully eloquent answer and he was saying basically that that's something you hope to be able to do somewhere in your life is to help people and to help everyone recognize that a person is so much more than any one aspect of their life well and that's where if they had an audio recording a video recording of the panel that's something that could get, I don't say a lot of mileage, but uh, would be good for other people to be seeing. Yes. 
So it, the panel was fantastic in both humor quality. It had some hilarious moments, but it also had some very touching and poignant moments. And I delayed our dinner considerably so I could go to the Orphan Black panel. But oh, it was I'm, worth doing. I mean, I'm glad I did. It it was definitely a highlight for me of this year's Comic Con. Cool. That's good. That's good. Yeah, it's one of those things. There's so many things going on. You really got to pick and choose how you want to spend your day, where you want to do it. Uh, for me, I had felt like starting the day, I had only covered part of Hall A, B, and C. It's like, and to me, it's a big deal to walk the floor. Yeah, definitely. Um, at some point, I need to get like a video thing or at least a GPS so I can track where I've been because. Frankly, somehow at one point I went from walking the third aisle from the back or from the front to the second over in the hall BC area, and I'm not sure where I went wrong. Probably just got ooh shiny over there, and next mm. thing I know I'm a block off. Uh, so I think I've walked most of that area. But yeah, f- tons of fun stuff. Um, all in all, good day, but I'm I'm tired. Yeah, it's a long convention. It's wonderful. It's amazing. I'll need to sleep for about two weeks when I get home. Well, and that's part of the joy, frankly, of, of driving out and back, is it gives you a couple of days to kind of decompress and not have all these people around you before you have all these people around you. And then afterwards to just, again, decompress again and kind of get back into the real world. For about four and a half days, you cannot put your arms out to either side and spin in a circle without hitting someone. I try not to put my arm out at all. I'm afraid somebody's going to whack it off. I, I I was getting jostled a bit today. Yeah. And I felt like I was going through half the day, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me. Um, and others who were just turning around in their four-foot backpack would just about knock my head off. And they don't mean to, and it's easy to lose sight of, of how big your backpack is or how full it is or just how heavy those trades are in it. Well, there was one person today who said, I'm sorry, it seems to me toes have become optional. Yeah. And he he was very apologetic for nearly stepping on my toes, and his toes had nearly been stepped on by someone. And it's just the nature of a large crowd all in motion. It's the nature of it, but I always made sure to be apologizing if I bumped into somebody or, hey, excuse me, I want to get through here, and politely. Yes. Not just, you know, get the hell out of my way or something like that. Because people are going to stop abruptly because something catches their eye. I know this because I do it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's part of the nature of Comic-Con. At the Orphan Black panel, uh, the actress who plays Mrs. S was saying that she thought that her character could um better in teaching table manners and a few other things. Yeah, yeah. And I think Comic-Con is definitely a place where... You have to remember your manners and use them because they pay off and they matter. Mm-hmm. Again, fun day. Um, haven't figured out what I'm doing for Saturday yet. Obviously, I want to meet up with Sam, do that. We've got one or two other things that are definitely uh, kind of hard scheduled items beyond that. Uh, still got to figure out what, what the plan is. Mm-hmm. So anything else for Friday? Does that pretty much do that? I think that wraps it up. All right. We'll be back with uh, Saturday then. And with that, I think we'll end this episode and do a second part that picks up on Saturday and Sunday.
The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what we've discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.